0: starting this new series called Getting to Know God, in which we're looking at this idea that Christians have confessed down through the centuries that we worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It it seems like a strange idea until you start to really dive into it and we begin to understand just how beautiful that is, but also how uh, meaningful and relevant it becomes, uh, especially as we consider what it means to truly have a relationship with God. And so I think it's only right that as we prepare to dive into God's Word together, that we take a moment to allow Him to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that you have indeed gathered us together by your Spirit, and that here now you desire to introduce yourself to us, that we might know you, that we might learn to walk with you. And so Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive the message that you have for us this weekend. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So one of the things that we often do when we're gathered together as Christians in the church is we take some time to to confess what it is we believe. And oftentimes we use something called the Apostles' Creed. This creed that Christians have spoken down through the centuries, professing what it is we believe about God. And and oftentimes uh, we'll do that every single worship service. We do it before we baptize infants. It's a way of reminding ourselves of, of who our God is. And the Apostles' Creed is a, is a truly amazing creed. Martin Luther, talking about this creed in his large catechism, says the following. He says, the creed is a doctrine quite different from the Ten Commandments. For the commandments teach what we ought to do, but the creed tells us what God does for us and gives to us. The Ten Commandments tell us what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live, but the creed tells us who our God is. And what he's done for us. Which is why it's a beautiful place to begin if we're to get to know who God is and, and what it means to truly follow him and have a relationship with him. Because in the Creed, what we profess is that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, because it's Pentecost, we're gonna focus on the Spirit this weekend. And then, actually, for this series, we're gonna work our way backwards Spirit, Son, Father. Uh, but we're gonna start by, by talking about what does it mean that we say God is Holy Spirit? What what does that mean? Why does that matter? Well, one of the things that many scholars of American religion have noted is how uh, interest in organized religion has been on the decline for some time now. And it's not just in the church. I mean, uh, any organized religion, uh, Islam, Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, Judaism, you name it, all of them are on the decline. Fewer and fewer numbers are going to temple, going to synagogue, going to church on any given weekend, There's a a rise in what's known as the nuns, those people who say that they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. But one of the things that's fascinating is for those who are studying the nuns, what they found is that it doesn't mean that their interest in spiritual or transcendent things is waning. Actually, it's getting stronger. In fact, in his groundbreaking book, A Secular Age, philosopher Charles Taylor says this, he says, even as our society has become more secularized, there is a widespread sense of loss here, if not always of God, then at least of meaning. What he says is that we haven't lost this deep desire to connect with what's really true about our worlds, to find some sort of transcendent purpose outside of ourselves. And so even as organized religion might be on the decline, spiritual interest continues to grow. The question is, where do we find the truth? How do we encounter what's really real? Where do we find that transcendent meaning? And oftentimes what we see in in people all around us is we kind of see three approaches to finding that transcendent meaning. Uh, The first approach is what I would call the mystical approach, Okay, and this is something I saw on display when I went to India a couple years ago. I had the privilege of going to visit one of our missions partners and uh, we went to the holy city of Varanasi where before the sun even came up, the streets were full filled with pilgrims every street corner had a statue of an idol and people were bowing down to it and making offerings every corner had somebody sitting with their legs crossed in prayer people were at the ganges river in orange robes greeting the sunrise pouring out their devotion you had holy people who were denying themselves food and water and fasting in a in an attempt to pierce through the veil of our world and truly encounter that which is true and real and spiritual. That's the mystical approach. This desire to, to look within and find the, the true connection to ultimate reality. For others, they take what I would call the the moralist approach. This is where we try to encounter that transcendent meaning through our moral performance and uprightness. And I remember when this first really hit me was when I was a student at the University of Illinois. I was studying Islamic studies, actually. And I remember talking to one of my fellow students who was a Muslim, and I said, I just would love to hear from you, what does it mean to be a Muslim? Well, what kind of sets Muslims apart? He's like, well, what makes Muslims Muslims? What makes us which I think sets us apart is that we are not so much about orthodoxy, right, belief, as we are about orthopraxy, putting our beliefs into practice. To be a Muslim means, uh, translated means one who submits, and we submit to Allah's will for our lives, and so we commit ourselves to moral and right actions. We work for the cause of justice. We defend the poor and the widow. We, we discipline ourselves. We resist temptations like alcohol and, and eating pork. We, we uh, commit ourselves to right and proper moral action from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep at night. It is about our performance in obedience to what God has told us. And I will be honest, as I spent time with the Muslim community at U of I, I saw that that was true. Quite honestly, it it was quite humbling to see the Muslim Students Association gather five times a day for prayer, to see them go out into the community to serve the needy. In some ways, their moral performance was better than most Christians I had met up until that point. Because that's what they believe. This is how you encounter transcendent truth. This is how you find ultimate meaning and purpose in your life is your moral conformity to the laws of God or to the laws of the universe or whatever it is you're ultimately following. It's this this moral commitment. The third path that many people take is that of knowledge. Knowledge. The way we try to find ultimate and transcendent truth and meaning is through knowledge, through our intellect, by learning. And one of the trends that I have just found so fascinating in recent years is the number of people who suddenly are picking up ancient philosophers again and studying them, and actually trying to apply philosophy to their lives. I was blown away. The one time I went on Instagram, and I saw an Instagram ad for a Stoics society, people who are living out the Stoic ideal and trying to apply it to their lives and reading all these Stoic authors and philosophers like Marcus Aurelius and stuff like that. And and it was just crazy. I was just like, is this for real? And it is reading groups, social gatherings, philosophy over beer, you name it. They're doing it. And uh, in fact, just this past week, I read an article in the New York Times by Professor Nancy Sherman, who's a professor of philosophy at Georgetown University. The title of her column was, was hilarious. She said, if you're reading Stoicism for life hacks, you're missing the point. And here's what she says. She says, the early Stoics taught that we are world citizens connected to all of humanity through our reason. While self-focused pop Stoicism has thrived in the marketplace, in the classrooms at Georgetown, where I teach ancient Stoicism to graduates and undergrads, it's the promise of that connected self and the potential of contributing to the common good that animates students. It says, my students who are studying Stoicism desperately desire to find transcendent meaning and purpose. That's why they're studying it. That's why they're looking into it. And this is what our society tells us we need if we're looking for that ultimate meaning, right? We just gotta find our own path, whether it's the mystical path or the moral path or the intellectual path, just find what works for you. You do you and, and, and pursue truth and ultimately you will find it. And, and we, we tell ourselves this is the most open, honest, uh, open doored accepting way to help people encounter the divine is just just find your own path, Right? But there's a challenge that I think presents itself to us when we actually slow down, we take a step back and we really consider that for a moment. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this hashtag YOLO, right? YOLO means uh, you only live once, right? You typically see it on somebody's like Instagram post when they're like trying to take that selfie and you wonder if it's they're actually like endangering their lives, trying to get that perfect camera angle, you know? But it's, it's like you only live once, right? These beautiful like scenes of places that we're going and stuff like that. I wanna introduce a new hashtag. Uh, to us, though, this morning. Uh, And that's the hashtag yo-yo, okay? Here's what yo-yo means. You're on your own. That's what yo-yo means. Now, here's why I'm talking about YOLO and yo-yo for a second. When we take a step back, our our society tells us, look, you just got to find your own path. You know, that's the most open, loving, accepting way that people can encounter the divine mysticism, moralism, intellectualism, you name it. Just, Just find what works for you doesn't take away from the reality that we live in a YOLO and yo-yo world. We do only live once. Which means that this life is all you have to truly find that truth. And here's the scary thing. You're on your own. Because that's exactly what mysticism, moralism, and intellectualism tell you. You're on your own. You got to find truth, find a path that works for you, but you're on your own. For mysticism, the only way you're truly going to connect with the divine is if you are truly that insightful. If you really have developed that kind of internal reflective nature with moralism, you're only going to encounter your true purpose and meaning is if your performance is perfect all the time. And with intellectualism, well, that's really only for those of us who have the intellect and the intelligence. You see, if we stop and we think about it, this supposedly open and accepting path that we're told we should all pursue is actually one of the most narrow, most difficult paths that any of us could ever walk. And that those who actually seem to achieve some measure of satisfaction on any one of those roads are only the truly best of the best. It's the people who can afford to take a pilgrimage to India. It's the people who truly are perfect who've never messed up, who've done everything right. It's only the really smart, the really educated, who can possibly find ultimate and transcendent meaning. And the truth is, is if we're really honest with ourselves, not a single one of us gets it perfect. Not to the level that's demanded by each one of those paths. And furthermore, they each give the impression that God and the transcendent and ultimate meeting are hard to find. It's only by being absolutely perfect on the path that you've chosen that you're going to encounter the reason why you were truly made. I'll be honest, if we're not born already knowing what that is, it is a scary prospect to consider the few years that we have to find it. We live in a yo-yo world. So the question is, How do we truly find meaning? And along comes this little creed that we have as Christians. Where in the third article of that creed, we confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Into our YOLO and yo-yo world, we proclaim something truly profound. And that is the belief that our God comes to us. That rather than going out on our own to seek out spiritual truth, the spiritual, the truth, comes to seek us. That's exactly what Jesus proclaimed when he spoke to his disciples On the night that he was betrayed, as he was talking to his friends, as he was trying to comfort them, he said this. He says, I've spoken all this while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And will remind you of everything that I have said to you. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father comes, he will testify about me. What Jesus says is he says, look, God is going to come to you that just as I have come to you, so he is going to come to you and he is going to dwell with you forever. And what he's going to tell you is he's going to lead you into all truth. You don't have to find the truth first and then you get him. He comes to you and then gives you all truth, everything that you've ever been looking for. And then what we go on to confess as Christians is that because he has come, because he set up his dwelling place in our hearts, we are now a part of a new family, a new community of people who are called by God's name, the church. And we are reminded by the Holy Spirit that we are forgiven which in a world that says we got to get our stuff together, we got to figure it out, what he proclaims to us is, I know that you haven't gotten it all figured it out. I know your life is a mess, but you are forgiven and you are loved. That's why we proclaim the forgiveness of sins. The acknowledgement that just because we've all fallen short doesn't mean our God stands at a distance. He comes and he dwells with us. Furthermore, the life that we've always been longing for, the hope that we desperately desire, is exactly what he gives us. The forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Compared to the paths of the mystic, the moralist, and the intellectualist, Christianity proclaims an upside-down movement. Not one in which we have to find our own path up the mountain, but rather one in which our God comes down the mountain to rescue us and to set up his dwelling place in our hearts. I love how Martin Luther puts it in his large catechism. He says, Through this article, the Holy Spirit with his office is declared and shown, he makes people holy. Think about that for a second. All other paths, all other religions say that we have to make ourselves holy and then God comes to us or then we get into heaven or then we find enlightenment. It's backwards for us. He says the Holy Spirit comes to us and then he makes us holy. He claims us as his own and makes us his children and then says, and then I will help you walk it out. I will help you live it out each and every single day of your life. I will make you more and more and more like your Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful truth in a world of people desperate for meaning and purpose. Is that if you're looking for God, we have good news for you. He's been looking for you first. So what does that mean to then live that, that spiritual life. Well, I, again, let's go back to exactly what Jesus said. I love these words in uh, John chapter 14. He says, The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. He will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Here's what's so beautiful about that. What he's saying is that the the spiritual life isn't a mystery. But rather, the Holy Spirit comes and just reminds us of what we've already been taught. And the way he does that is actually through God's word. You know, if you look at the New Testament writers over and over and over again, when they talk about, so where do we find truth? Where do we find purpose, meaning, and so on and so forth? What they say is they say, well, the Holy Spirit has inspired the writings of God's people. As the word of God is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in all righteousness. Likewise, they say, the prophets were carried along by God's spirit. See, the Holy Spirit points us back to what Jesus has already taught us. So when we're asking, so what does it mean to be a spiritual person? How do I live in light of that? You go back to God's word. Because it's there that the spirit's teachings have been recorded by his people. And furthermore, it's as you read God's word that the Holy Spirit then applies it to our lives because then it goes from our head to our hearts to our hands. I don't know about you, but there have been so many times in my life when I'm facing a difficult decision or we're encountering some struggle and some hardship and when I fall on my knees, what comes to mind as I pray? Scripture. Words of the Bible. Teachings from Jesus. Stories from the Gospels over and over and over again, he draws me back into his word and he says, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who I am. Don't forget what it means to follow me. All these things I've already taught you, now let me help you live them out. We are a people who are deeply grounded in the word of God because that's where the Holy Spirit has been at work and continues to be at work. That's what he constantly draws us back to, that we might study it, know it, and be shaped by it. Jesus himself says it. He's just coming not to give you anything new, to remind you of what I've already said. And where do we find those words? Recorded in his word. Recorded in the scriptures. Furthermore, I love how Jesus then goes on. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Our world would tell us it's a mystery and it's all on us to figure it out. Jesus says, no, I've made it perfectly clear and plain to you and I will walk with you as you learn how to put it into practice. How? Through his Holy Spirit who dwells within us. But it gets even more amazing than that when we consider what the Spirit's work is because the other thing that he desires to do is he desires to proclaim good news through us. That's actually what Jesus says. John 15 When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. He says the Holy Spirit will testify. How? Through you testifying. You have this calling to go and to proclaim good news to all people. In fact, this is the reason why in John 16, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. For unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, I've had many Christians say, well, how is that possible? How is it better that we have the Holy Spirit and not Jesus? I mean, think about the disciples, right? They could eat with Jesus, talk to Jesus, hug Jesus, walk with Jesus. How is it better that we have the Holy Spirit? But think about what we just read earlier about Pentecost. How on the very first Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, thousands of people in countless languages suddenly heard the wonders of God being proclaimed in their own tongues. That's why getting the Holy Spirit is better because what it means is that Jesus and his work can now go out through his people to everyone. Jesus' ministry while he was here was confined to three years in the first century in a small little corner of the earth known as Judea. But through the Holy Spirit, God's good news now can go to every corner of the earth in every single age, in every language, in every country through God's people in whom he dwells. Jesus says, this is why it's good. It's so that more people from every walk of life can hear of God's love and mercy as it's proclaimed through you. The people in whom my spirit dwells. You live in the community that you live in. You go to the school that you go to. You serve in the job that you have, in the country where you are, speaking the language that you've learned because God desires to use you to reach the people around you in ways and in terms that they can understand so that they might come to know the hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is a beautiful thing. It is a precious thing. In fact, I would argue it is the most joyful experience you will ever have as a Christian when you see these things come together. When the Holy Spirit, working through God's word and God's people, brings people to life. I'll give you just one example. When I was working at UIC, there was one uh, time when we were going to be hosting this worship event for our campus and we've been telling the students in our, in our chapter in our ministry, you know, invite your friends, invite your roommates, like, let's, let's have this gathering together." We'd actually called up a pastor who is an amazing speaker from Chicago. We said, "We'd love for you to come out and, and just share God's word with the students and stuff like that. And we were so excited to have him. And so the night comes, right, when we're going to host this worship gathering, and 30 minutes before the worship gathering begins, no pastor. So the students are getting a little nervous, you know, not unheard of, but a little nervous. So They're just like, is, is he coming? Is pastor coming? I'm just like, yeah, I think he's coming. Don't worry. Like, let's just keep warming up. You know, worship team, do your thing. Start texting. 20 minutes. Guys still isn't there. No speaker. Like, are you sure he's coming? I was like, I don't know. I'm texting. I think so. Let's just keep going. You know, 15 minutes. Students are freaking out. Like, he's not coming. And then sure enough, I look at my phone and I get, bing. Yeah, I'm not coming. Because the pastor had gotten the date wrong. Like, I'm out of town. I would have jumped on an L and been there, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm out of town with my family. I'm sorry, I, I mixed up the date. I can't be there. My students are like losing it. they like, what are we gonna do? I was just like, guys, it's okay. I was freaking out too, but I couldn't let them know that. I was like, it's okay. Or it was just breathe. Let's, let's circle up, let's pray. And here's what we'll do. We know what passage he was supposed to preach on, right? They're like, yeah. It's like, all right, so here's what we're gonna do. Let's pray. We did. I said, worship team, get started. Lead us in worship. Lead us in prayer. When the time comes, I'll get up there, I'll, I'll open John 15, that's the text for tonight, and, and we'll read it together, and we'll study it together, and we'll talk about it together. We'll just see what God does. And I went back in the corner and freaked out while they played their opening worship set. But I opened the scriptures, and I started to pray. I started to look at the passage. I got up there, and I, I, can't, even rem- I can't even tell you what I preached that night. I just don't remember. It just kept kind of flying. As we were reading through the text and then and, and closing worship set comes and two of my students run up to me and they grab me by the arms and say, you got to get back here. And I go back there and they introduce me to their friend. And uh, I said, hi, my name's Nick, and she introduced herself. And I said, so what brought you here tonight? She's like, I felt like I had to come. I said, what do you mean? She's like, well, I've had people on my floor and these girls in my dorm." you know, talking to me about Jesus and God, and they've been telling me that they've been praying for me, and they've been inviting me actually to come to worship with them for like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I was like, no, 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 no. But I don't know, something tonight, I, I just, I had to come. I can't explain it. I had to go. And I came here, and, and what, what, what you were talking about, about abiding in God and his word abiding in you, and I can't fully explain that, but that's what I want. What's going on? And I said, you know what's happening? that I think that you've been looking for God your entire life. She's like, I have. I have been looking for God, especially since I've come here to college. And I said, well, I have good news for you. You wouldn't be looking, to God, looking for God if God wasn't first looking for you. God has been inviting you to this place. He's been inviting you to this moment through your friends who've been praying for you through the friends who invited you to come god has been speaking to you tonight from his Word, telling you about the life that you're looking for and saying it is yours in jesus and you want to know what's so beautiful is you don't have to do anything to earn it and he just has one question for you and is that is do you trust me And she dropped down on her knees and started crying. And she said, yes, that is what I want. That's what I've been longing for. And it was so much joy in that room as her friends were just like, I can't believe it. Like, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just inviting her and praying for her. I was like, you were just doing what God has been telling you to do in his word. You've been responsive to the Holy Spirit as you've been inviting her and praying for her and reading God's word and stuff like that. But it was even more amazing because not only did she come to faith, but over the next two years of her college career, she was a sophomore. She led Bible studies in small groups. She led some of her fellow classmates to faith. When she graduated, she went on to become a leader in her own church. She is a person who was on fire. Why? Because the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the gift. And I still get choked up telling that story because that is awesome. And that's what God desires to do in us and through us by the Holy Spirit. He wants to use us to introduce himself to people, to invite people to experience all the goodness and grace and mercy which he so freely pours out through Jesus as the Holy Spirit goes with us and through us, reaches those around us. To proclaim to a world that's looking for truth and purpose and meaning. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.